0: Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we get a chance to share the love of Jesus through music, art, and biblical teaching, and we're so glad that you're here to be a part of it. Let's get started. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff, and I am one of the leaders here at the church. So I hope you brought a Bible with you. Maybe you have a a hard cover one like in a Bible here, um, in a book form, or maybe you have one on your phone. If you have one on your phone, you can open it up. So we're going to be continuing our study in the book of Joshua. Joshua. is in the front part of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, if you look underneath the seat close to you, you might find a hardback black Bible and you can turn to page 178. 178 in that Bible, as we uh, continue our study in Joshua. Uh, Just by way of review, if you were here the last few weeks, this will sound like review. Um, Could be new to you if you're first time here today. Um, But what we've been studying so far in Joshua is the story of God, right, who is sovereign over everything, the God that we were worshiping just a moment ago during our singing, that he is taking his people, the nation of Israel, over the Jordan River and into the promised land. And we've been working towards that for some time. Uh, Moses had been their de facto leader for the last 40 plus years, but Moses has just died. This is how the book of Joshua opens. Uh, Moses has passed away. And so the people of God were wondering, um, are the promises of God also dead too? Since Moses was leading us and now that Moses is dead, what about your promises? And so the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at that. And what we've discovered is this, is that uh, God's promises continue to live even after other things die in our lives. Yes, that God's promises are kept not by anything that we do or found um, in any strength from this world, but are in fact given by God and kept by God in his strength. So God then... Um, Even though Moses has gone the way of all men, right, he's passed on, God commissions a new leader. His name is Joshua. And Joshua is going to take God's people across the river and into the promises of God into the promised land. Last week, we heard this, God came to, to Joshua and said this, tell the people to get ready. We're leaving in three days. We're going to cross the river. And so they made provisions. They got ready to go, and they were real excited to go. And as we get ready to start into chapter 2, one might expect that we would be hearing the story of them crossing the river. But it's not what we hear today. In fact, I want you to hear this. Chapter two of Joshua appears to be this sort of parenthetical story inside the great story of God's people going into the promised land. You can read Joshua and leave out chapter two do chapter one, skip two, go straight to three, and you won't miss any of that story at all of God going into the promised land with his people. But in Joshua chapter two, there's this story, a story of, I'll say it here, of, of conversion or salvation. There's a, a person who's the main character of this story whose name is Rahab. Maybe some of you have heard of Rahab. Rahab was a, a Canaanite woman. It just meant this. She's not a, uh, an Israelite. She's pagan is what the Bible would say. She's a pagan woman, which means she doesn't worship the God of the Bible. She worships other gods. And the Bible also tells us what her occupation is. It says here that she's a prostitute. And so right off the get, we begin to wonder, why is the author of this book... Um, going out of his way, so to speak, to tell us the story of a pagan Canaanite harlot named Rahab in the middle of the greater story of God taking his people into the promises. Why is that story here? Well, I'll go ahead and tell you what I think, why the story is there. It's because God does want us to know that even though he is a promise keeper in all things of our lives, he's also a person who saves people along the way. Right? And many of you are in this room who were not Christians. Right, I didn't grow up a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I became a Christian. I became a Christian after I, I come to know who Jesus was and, and all of that. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But in the middle of this story, what appears to be almost non-essential to the greater story, there's this truth hidden in there that God loves his people and wants to save them. So um, rather than read the entire book, because we're going to work through all the book today, what I'd like to do is pray for us. And then I'll read a section of the chapter. We'll talk about it. Then I'll read a section, talk about it. And hopefully in about 75 minutes or so, we can get out of here, okay? So it's the third service. I'm a bit loopy, I'm a bit loopy right now. So um, would, you, would you bow your heads with me and pray? Lord, thank you. I always like to say thank you when we start because we do want to come into your presence with uh, thanksgiving and we are thankful for everything that you do. Thank you for each of us individually, for our lives, And for everything that you're doing, but thank you also corporately for what you're doing in this church as well. God, we ask that you would be with us today, as the Bible says, where we are gathered in your name, that you would be with us. And so we trust you to be here. So Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes and ears, open our minds, soften our hearts so that we could receive the truth that you have for us. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his mighty name that we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So again, starting here in chapter two, uh, beginning in verse one, we'll put the words on the screen here and you can follow along with me. It says here that Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from, you, pr- you pronounce that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you some help. The emphasis or the accents on the second syllable, just so you know. No, it's Shittim, Shittim, right? So uh, Joshua sends two men, two spies, secretly from Shatem as spies, saying this, "'Go view the land, especially Jericho. "'And they went and came into the house of a prostitute "'whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. "'And it was told to the king of Jericho.'" "'Behold, two men of Israel have come here tonight "'to search out the land. "'Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, "'saying these words, "'Bring out the men who have come to you, "'who entered your house, "'for they have come to search out all of the land. "'But the woman, Rahab, "'had taken the two men and hidden them. "'And she said, "'True, the men came to me, "'but I did not know where they were from. "'And when the gate of the city "'was about to be closed at dark, "'the men went out. "'I do not know where the men went.' Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. Maybe, verse six. But she had brought them up to the roof, and she had hid the spies with stalks of flax that she had laid on the order in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan, as far as the fords. And when the gate was shut, as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So, uh, a couple things that we might miss if we weren't careful students of the scriptures. Um, the author of the book of Joshua is really trying to lay some tension here at the onset of this chapter. And by tension, I mean this. He gives us two pieces of information that should make us a little nervous. And it's found in that first verse. It says that Joshua sent spies out from Shetem, the the area of Shittim. Um Here's why that makes us nervous. This isn't the first time spies have been sent into the promised land. Some 40 years ago, Moses, when he was leading, also sent spies into the land. And when those spies came back with their report, most all of them said that the land was wonderful, but the the Canaanites, the people inhabiting the land were like giants to us. We Israelites look like grasshoppers to them. And should the Lord lead us over there into their land, they'll, they'll crush us. They'll destroy us. And because of that, fear went through the people of Israel and they decided not by faith to cross into the promised land, but to rather stay on the other side of the Jordan. And because of their lack of faith, the Bible tells us that God sent them out into the desert to wander, right? For 40 years, he says, until this generation who lacked the faith to cross has died. Think about that for a moment. This is not the first time spies have been sent in. The last time the spies went in, they came back with a a report that was terrifying to everyone. And so the author of this book is telling us, pay attention now, something different is going to happen. This might make you nervous, but just wait for the end of the story. And the second thing we realize is that they send the people over from the area of Shittim, which is a dangerous place for the people of God. If you know the story of their history, back in Numbers chapter 25, the Israelites had disregarded God's commands for them and began to whore around the Bible's language to prostitute with the Moabite women, which is, what does all of this mean? Let me explain it to you. God wants his people to be a separate people from the other people on the Earth. And he told his nation, the Israelites, when you come into this area of Shetem, do not associate with the Moabites. And the Moabites, just so you know, were a people who worshipped all of these other false gods like Baal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they had wicked religious practices, and God did not want his people intermingling with them. But they Israelites disregarded God's words and and began to intermingle with them. And even some of them took some of the women as their own wives. And this angered the Lord and a plague broke out against them. So just know this, this area of Shittim is a dangerous place for God's people. So those two things the author tells us from the get-go, uh-oh, what's going to happen next? What on earth shall we do? But I want you to see what Joshua does. Joshua does something that I think would be the prob- would be probably the first thing we should pay attention to here. <laughs> Um, God has called us to be spiritual people. Would you all agree with that? Yes, we are spiritual people. So when God tells Joshua in three days, we're crossing the river, he has faith to believe that. But Joshua doesn't just sit around and wait and wait and wait for that to happen. He does something that you and I should learn from. He takes practical steps to move forward into the things of God. See, we are supposed to be spiritual people, yes, but also practical people as well. All too often, we're either one or the other. How many people want to admit that you're more practical than spiritual? Like when it comes time to do something for the Lord, you just put on your tool belt belt and start, right? Anyone else besides me? a room full of liars today, I see. That's okay. And that happens to us. Sometimes we just, we know what to do. We know what worked last time. Let's just do that thing. And so we just get about the business of doing it. And I think God wants that sometimes, but not always. Sometimes he wants us to be spiritual people too. Sometimes he wants us to bend our knees in prayer and have faith to believe and wait upon the Lord. And it's, it's both and. How many people want to admit you're more of that person? You just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for God to do something. And all the while the Lord's like, let's go already. Right? So Joshua shows us both. There's a moment to be a spiritual person. Yes, we are spiritual people, but there's also practical moments to be practical and to get involved and to do things. So anyways, we keep reading verse four, then it says this, but Rahab, the woman had taken these two spies and hidden them. So when the king of Jericho, the leader or the mayor or whatever Jericho comes looking for the spies, she had hidden them. And she says these words, yeah, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they're from, which is not true. She knew they were Israelites. I didn't know what they were about, which is not true because she knew they, what they wanted to do. And she also lied when she said that they went out before dark and the, and the city gates were closed, which was not true. They're on her roof, hidden underneath some flax stalks or whatever that is. Now, the question that sometimes um, we get caught up on is whether or not Rahab's lie was in fact sinful. See, the Bible tells us in the 10 commandments that you shall not lie, right? That's one of the big 10. We're not supposed to lie. That's what God says. But people over the centuries had debated whether or not what Rahab did was sinful. Some of them want to argue, well, the ends justified the means, right? Which means this, the outcome was good. She wasn't harmed. The spies were safe and everything worked out for the good. So the lie that she told was okay because the ends justified the means. And some of us would say, well, that's just garbage talk. We can't do that. We can't just sin hoping that it's, the ends are going to justify the means. What would happen to the world like that? So another group comes along and says, well, maybe, maybe when she sinned by lying about the spies, because the outcome was so good, God just overlooked her sin, right? He just looked past it because what she did was a good thing in the end. And I think that's also garbage. And another group comes in and and, and argues another point. Here's what will happen. If we spend our time debating whether or not what Rahab did, did was sinful, we'll miss the point of the story. Hear me, the Bible makes no claim as to what Rahab did was right or wrong. It never speaks to that. And you and I, we can run through those mazes, those mental activities or whatever exercises if you want, but we'll never know. I think the most important thing for us to remember is why she lied to them. Why would she lie to those soldiers? I think she wants to tell us I think she has a reason why she did that. And if we keep reading, we'll learn why. It says, verse eight, before the men lay down, before the spies were to lay down upstairs on the roof, she came up to them. This is sort of a a flashback moment. We're looking back just before the, the soldiers came and we're learning what took place right before that. She went up onto the roof and she said to the men, I know this. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Now then, please swear to me, she says, by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and that you would give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men, the spies said to her, well, our life for yours, even to death. As long as you don't tell this business of ours, why we're here, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. She's telling us something. It says here, verse 9, that she knows the Lord has given you the land. So previously she's saying, well, I don't know why the Israelites are here. I don't know what they want. I don't know where they are. All lies. But what she does know is that the Lord has given this land of hers and, and her nations to God's people. And she says, verse 9b, that the fear of the Lord has fallen upon all of us, and it causes us to melt away before you, which I want you to pause and consider why that's significant. As I mentioned earlier, when Moses sent his 12 spies in, when the reports came back and they were fearful of the people, they wandered for 40 years in the desert. Most all of them were going to die out there. But the reality of what was taking place was the Canaanites were in fact fearful of Israel. Think about that. They had wasted, hear me, I want you to hear me. They had wasted their lives because they couldn't see what was really happening because they were too caught up in their own fears. And because of that, they wandered the entirety of their lives and eventually died. All they needed to do probably was just cross the river and go, boo. And the people would have ran away. They were terrified of the Israelites, and she knows this. And you know how she knows this? It says here in verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you. And we have heard how you took care of the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. What you did to Sihon and Og. What she's saying, she's telling the two stories that bookend the book of Exodus. The beginning of Exodus tells the story of God's rescue out of Egypt and the Red Sea parting. She tells that story and the end when they get to the Jordan River and they destroy the Amorites and take possession of that land. What she's saying is we have been watching your God at work. The Canaanites worshipped a dozen or so different gods, and none of their gods ever performed the miracles and had the strength to do the things that this god had done. From a distance, they were watching, and the rumors began to swirl around their land that there's a nation moving through the desert whose god brings water from a rock whose God can bring bread from heaven, whose God can part seas, whose God can do all of these miraculous things. And over time, the people hear this and begin to tremble in fear. But what Rahab is doing is is we're beginning to see her heart soften to the truth of who God is. Her heart is beginning to change. And why is her heart changing? It's because she's hearing the truth about God. Over time, she's going to become a believer. We see this. I'll argue my case here in a few moments. She becomes a believer, but why? Because she was hearing what God had done. Paul takes similar thinking like this in Romans chapter 10 and says this, that faith comes to people by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What what we're learning is that this is also true when a person is not necessarily teaching scripture, preaching verse, chapter, whatever, but just telling people the stories of God. I'm a terrible evangelist. Terrible. There's none worse than me. I never ever invite people to church. Anyone else? And it sounds weird for me to invite people. Hey, you should come to church and hear me talk. I'm amazing. It'll change your life. I mean, it sounds so wrong. So I never like invite people to church by way of evangelism. But what I do do is when I get an opportunity to share coffee or tacos with someone, I'm always about telling them what God is doing in my life. I'm always about telling them how the last week I've been really stressed out and and anxious and whatever. And I sat down to pray this morning and and, uh, God came and brought comfort to me in a way that I haven't felt in months. I'm always wanting to tell people the story of God in my life. And why is this? It's because when they begin to hear the story of God in your life, they too begin to wonder if this thing is even true. Inside of their heart, God begins to do something that only he can do And their heart either softens towards him or hardens against him. But the word of God will produce something in their hearts. We must be people who tell the stories of God in our lives. So many of us feel unqualified to do so. I don't have a seminary degree. I don't know the Bible very well. I don't know this, but I I just know to follow Jesus and it's been helpful for me. I'm telling you, God wants to use that story to help other people. Let me tell you, I do not have a seminary degree. I wish I had one. I can play guitar real well. That's about all my talent. (laughs) That's about it for me. And I'm telling you, if God can use a person like me to share Jesus with others, he can certainly use someone like you. He used Rahab. She saves her own family. Picture this: I want my mother's, or my, my my mother and my father, my brothers and sisters to be saved. Why? Because she has come to faith in who God is. I've heard of what you have done. This is blowing me away. And she says, verse eleven, b, the second half of verse eleven: For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And the word that she uses for Lord here that's recorded in your English translation, it probably just says Lord like mine does. Sometimes they'll put that in all caps. But know this, the the word there is actually Yahweh, which if you don't know what that means, this is the personal covenantal name that God uses with his people only. In, in Exodus chapter three, Moses, again, the previous leader, he had had an encounter with God at this thing called the burning bush. The bush is on fire yet not being consumed and God is trying to persuade Moses to go back into Egypt to free his people and Moses doesn't want any part of it. Finally, he relents and God, he asks God, I'll go to Pharaoh, okay, for you and I'll ask that he release the people but who do I say sent me? And God responds to Moses and says this, you tell them that I am who I am sent you, which at this point sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. I'm just saying, right? I am that I am. What does this even mean? But know this in the Hebrew translation of that, those those. Four words became four consonants. Y-W-H-W, which became transliterated into Yahweh. You tell them Yahweh sent you. It's his personal name. And what we're learning from here, from Rahab here, is she's having... Um, an experience with God, not just any God, because she could have used the word Elohim, which is the, the Bible word for God or gods, but she doesn't. She's having a personal relationship with the true God of the Bible, and his name is Yahweh, and his son is Jesus, and he's come to save the world. And in this moment, we're beginning to understand she's, she's a follower of God now. She's heard enough to know that this God is the true God. Her gods can't produce anything like this God can. She's even heard his name to be called Yahweh. It makes you wonder, where did she learn this? Some people want to argue that maybe she heard it over the years from her clients that would come visit. Make no mistake, it doesn't matter to me, but she knows this. She's had an encounter with the living God through the stories of other people. And so not only does she know who God is, but she also knows that judgment is coming. Just like God had judged the Amorites not many months ago when the the kings Sihon and Og were defeated and all those people were sent to destruction, the Bible tells us. But she knows what's next on the docket is the land of Canaan and the Canaanite people will be judged. And she doesn't want to be judged. She wants to be delivered. She asks that they would spare her life. Now hear me, you and I all are going to, be, to face judgment at some point, right? The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto a man or woman once to die and then face judgment. See, we all, when we breathe our last here, we will see God, the mighty God face to face at some point and he will judge our lives. And many people want to say, but I don't believe in him right? I don't believe in him, so I don't believe in God, so it doesn't matter. Listen, he believes in you, and you're going to see him at the end of your days, and you're going to face judgment there. And she knew judgment was coming to her, and she asked the spies to spare her. And let's see what happens next. She says to them, I want you to spare me, help my, save my family, this and that. And the spies uh, respond, starting here in verse 15. It says then that she let them down by a rope through the window of her house, for her house was built into the city wall, and so that she lived in the wall. And then she said to the spies, now go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you. Go ahead and hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, go on your way. And so the spies said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Like, we'll protect you, whatever you want. Behold, when we come into the land, take this. You shall tie this scarlet cord in the window, a red rope, if you will, and tie it to the window through which you let us down. And then gather into your house your whole family, your father, your mother, and your brothers, and all of your father's household. And then if anyone goes out the doors of your house into the street when we come to take the the city then his blood will be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. He's saying, listen, when we come, stay inside the house. Don't go check the mail or mow the grass. Be inside, because when we come, and if you die, that's on your own fault. That's on you, right? But he says in verse 20, but if you tell this business of ours, then we will be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, fine, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied that scarlet cord, that red rope, if you will, to the outside of her window. The spies departed, went into the hills, remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And then the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two spies returned home. They came down from the hills, passed over the Jordan again, and went to see Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. They told them the story of Rahab, this believer over in Canaan. It'll blow your mind. And then they said to Joshua, and I love this part, truly the Lord, Yahweh, has given us all the land into our hands. And also all of the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. I love this part because Joshua was one of the original 12 spies that went over with Moses. And when they came back, most everyone was saying that we can't go. It's too scary, too scary, too scary. But Joshua was one of them who says, we can do this. We can win. If God's going with us, we'll be fine. And the spies come back and tell Joshua that exact same thing. You were right all along, brother. The, The people are so frightened of us. All we need to do is walk in and take the land. Now, I want to pause here. I have a few minutes left to talk a little bit about this rope, this scarlet thread, this scarlet cord, whatever this is. Um, This is not the first time in Bible, nor would it be the last, that we ever hear of God passing judgment over people because of a mark that's been placed upon them or their house. In the story of Exodus, when we see Moses leading his people out of, out of Egypt, he, at one point, ten plagues come over the land to convince Pharaoh to let his people go, and the final plague was this thing called death. And God says, "'I'm sending my death angel at night, and every firstborn of everything is going to die tonight.'" Unless, he says, you take the blood of a goat, blood of a lamb or a ram, and you put it upon your doorposts or your door lintels or whatever, then when the death angel comes, hear me, I will pass over your household and you will be spared judgment. That story is what the. Hebrew people use to celebrate Passover every year. That story is just like this story. If she'll just mark her home with a red cord when judgment comes, when the people of Israel come to take the land, they will pass over her house. Listen, you and I have the opportunity to be spared judgment too if we would just place our faith in Jesus. We don't have to kill a a goat or a lamb. We don't have to hang rope outside of the windows of our house or our car. What we have to do is believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who has came to die um, a sacrificial death on our behalf, and God raised him from the dead, and through faith in him, we can escape judgment too. The mark is Jesus' blood over us, if you will. The Bible even talks about this. It is the blood of Jesus that makes us clean. It's not our actions. It's not our works. It's not our Bible study. It's not our church attendance. It's not our check writing. It's not our, you know, all the great things, the recycling that you do and all that stuff. That's not what makes us clean before the Lord. What makes us pure before him is the shed blood of his son, Jesus. Guys, when we move upstairs, I need you to hear this, and I'm finishing right here. Um, More people are going to show up at this church than we've ever seen before. I'm convinced of it. I don't say that braggardly. I'm I'm more scared of it than excited, just so you know. There will be a whole lot more things to do. And the people that are going to come, many of them will not be Christians. In fact, it is my desire, um, most of them won't be Christians. And they'll have stories similar to Rahab, who tradition tells us she's probably been a prostitute since she was 10, 11, or 12 years old. Probably sold into slavery by her family. All these things happening. And people like her and even worse are going to come into the church. And I'm asking the Lord that he would give us the grace to believe that God wants to save them. That we not stand in a place of judgment or condemnation because of their life, their addictions, their past, their present, or anything else. That God would use us, a little bitty church, in the middle of our city to preach the salvation message of Jesus. And we will do it faithfully every week. And we will tell them that no amount of work on their own could ever save them. That is Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the only one who could save. Jesus loves you and God loves you and wants to save you. We will continue to share that message. We will continue to share the hope that we have from God in our own lives. And over time, people's lives will be transformed. Marriages would be restored. Wayward children would return home. Addictions would be broken off. All of these things are going to take place in this next year. Who believes that with me? Of course. Otherwise, ladies and gentlemen, we have a social club. We have a, a, a little country club here. We have a little gathering where we get together and make each other feel good. Nice shirt, by the way. We get to do all of this stuff. Or is it blouse? I have no idea. But we get to we do all this stuff. If, that, if that's all we're doing, listen, we're not doing it right. We're not. To be honest, I have enough to do already. I don't need this to but if we're faithful to the message of Jesus, oh, it'll be awesome. We'll stand back and we'll rejoice with the things that God is doing, that God will continue to do in the lives of other people. We'll tell the stories of people like Rahab the harlot, which just lastly right here, always frustrates me. She's always called Rahab the harlot in the Bible. It's never just Rahab. Can we look past or past already? I'm just saying. How would you like to have your name in the Bible? And anyways, moving on. So um, (laughs) you're only known for your sins. You know, wouldn't that be terrible? Praise God, um, we're no longer known for our sins. So if you're here, you feel unqualified to be used by God. um, There's probably no one more unqualified than Rahab. And and, uh, God used her to save Um, these two spies so that they could get the information so that they could then take the land in a few days. If you feel like your past is too dark and too crazy that God would never want to use you, you're wrong because Rahab was used. If you think God's message of salvation can't reach that far into some people that you think there's no way they could come to faith. There's no way that person would ever know Jesus. There's no way they'd ever come to church. You're wrong about all those things too. In fact, you, you should take your faith to the Lord and repent for, for that because God can and does reach anyone he wants to reach. Don't walk around thinking to yourself that God can't save your husband or your friends or your coworkers or whatever. Don't say those things because God can. You can't, and that's, that's probably why you feel that way because you're not strong enough to save, but he is. So anyways, I'm out of time. Um, uh, Let's pray together. God, thank you again for our time together. Um, Thank you for the story of Rahab, the one used by you to produce the results that you wanted. Uh, thank you, God, that we can be people who can look beyond what we naturally see and step into this thing called faith and live from a place of faith to be spiritual people, but also practical people as well. God, we want to be people at the ready to move when you say to move. So God, would you prepare us, these uh, all the people here, that when we gather new people these next months, as people start to come to the church, that we'd be ready to receive them, ready to share the stories of Jesus with them, ready to pray with them, ready to uh, be ready to encourage them and to help them in the ways that you would want us to. God, thank you for our time together, and we ask that you bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. And I want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God, which might be getting involved with a group of other believers. If you'd like to be a part of what's going on here at Renaissance, then please connect with us on social media or online at renaissancedecatur.org.